1: This is today with Kino Cunnies on Cape Talk, and you are joined this morning by my
0: sidekick, my co-presenter, Doctor, Doctor, Doctor Christmas. Good morning. Morning, Kino. Another fine Um, Friday. (laughs) Here we are, and I don't want to start the show with the same conversation we have every week, which is about the C word. (laughs) So let's try and have a (laughs) should we try and have a COVID-free twenty minutes. Oh, my word. OK, yeah.
1: then there goes the first question.
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's just become the pattern of our lives, hasn't it? Like so many of these exactly. things, it's it's become the pattern. Exactly. And it's it's kind of so predictable. I'm thinking, let's break the mould and, and ask a question about something that's not coronavirus. But no, I'm just joking. How are you? Can I ask you this question? I'm very good, thank you. I'm um, very, very good. I'm breathing. I'm feeling
1: healthy-ish. Someone called into the show yesterday saying that we don't give COVID denialists... Um, an opportunity to speak on radio, saying that what we're saying about the COVID vaccine, everybody involved in the vaccinology, etc., are only in it to make money for themselves. And uh, I said to them, well, then show us the proof. Um, the only challenge is we're not going to have any right-thinking doctor and scientist busy with trying to save lives. Uh, wanting to make time available to go up up against crackpots. (sighs) So what do we say to people who are still COVID
0: denialists? Well, I think you can't argue with the, the death toll. And there has been a significant and considerable death toll in countries that are not known for lying about their statistics. The UK presides over the embarrassing statistic that we have one of the highest death rates in the world. From coronavirus, And those are all documented, confirmed cases. And there are various mm. reasons why that's happened. But it's a serious issue, this. But at the same time, mm. I do have sympathy for people who are saying, my business is going bankrupt. I'm going yes, bankrupt. Right. I'm a young person. My risk is really low. Why am I stuck at home? Why, why am I out of work? Uh, why is the world going to hell in a handcart in order to save Lives When actually we lose this many lives from say malnutrition every year what 's different so I, I do think there 's a debate to be had, and we do have to have a healthy discussion to make sure we don 't end up in a position where the pill becomes worse than the ill, where there is a danger of that happening because if you look at the economic cost to, to all countries that are, are trying to sort this out, if you know if you 're a rich country and you end up with your economy in the doldrums, you become a, you know a poor country culturally you become a poor country in terms of health because you can't invest in the healthcare that's going to give you a problem in the future and you can't buy stuff off poorer countries for your manufacturing and for your luxury goods market and so on which means actually the flow of money to poorer countries dries up and that then hits the poor countries in the pocket too who are already Hit in the pocket because they're a poor country, so the whole world goes into a sort of death spiral, and so it is important that there is a, a healthy discussion around these sorts of things. So it, 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 you know, I, I do, I do have a lot of sympathy for people who are saying, "Come on, you know, mm. how much more of this? How much further do we have to yes. take this?" But what we do have to do is to, is to look at what it's cost so far look at where the errors are, and then say, well, if this were to grumble on, how many more lives would be lost? How many more health systems would be paralysed? And therefore, Mm. how many more knock-on effects would there be economically? Given the cost that we've ratcheted up up so far, what do we have to do to Uh, make sure that it's a one-way street out of this and we don't slip back? Because that's that's the crucial thing. But being sympathetic exactly. to those arguments people are making. But, but there, there is, there, you know, anyone who turns around and says coronavirus doesn't exist. I mean, they, they are deluding themselves. There, there really is a pandemic. It's a serious pandemic. It is claiming mm. lives. But at the same time, our response must be proportionate and we must yeah. be prepared to change our minds as we go through. Mm. And the situation changes. It's a fluid situation. Yeah.
1: Well, Matthew, who called us yesterday, who I think is, I mean, he's 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 not a crackpot. He's he's quite a sane guy. He runs a great business. Um, And I understand from whence he comes. So he didn't say that uh, COVID doesn't exist because I asked him that. Um, But he did talk about, you know lives being lost, and I think uh, rightfully so, about lives being lost, but then also the mask issue, saying that, you know, he says he eats healthily, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, he's also not a mask wearer. Um, he doesn't believe that, that, that one should be wearing a mask. I think he probably wears one now because he has to, um, so I do know a bit about him. He's, a, he's an all-around nice guy, um, but the, the bottom line is you can eat as healthily as you want to, right, and that will help you. Right. Because the body and nutrition is very important, which is why we take all those tablets. But if you don't wear the mask. You are going to spread coronavirus more readily, and that South African variant, as we call it, um, spreads a lot more more easily than the uh, initial variant that we had.
0: Well, it certainly so, has the capacity to to sidestep immunity so that there is the potential mm-hmm. to catch these things again if you have something that 's yeah. varied sufficiently it 's not altogether clear what the best public health measures are. I mean you could look at the world and say and I can see where excuse me <clears throat> I can see where he 's coming from because if you say, "Well, hang on, mm-hmm. compared with this time last year, how many people now wear face masks and face coverings and so on compared with a year ago Well, the answer is yeah. uh, Enormous numbers now, and a year ago they, they didn't. How how many numbers, what sort of numbers in terms of transmissions are we seeing? Well, we're seeing very high levels of mm. transmission now. So, th- the, you know, one public health measure alone is not a panacea. It's a collection of mm. measures, which includes things like physical distancing, things like careful attention to hygiene, and also underpinned by vaccination, mm. monitoring, surveillance and isolation. Yep. All these things work. It's not just down to one individual factor everything plays a little part it's a small cog in a bigger gearbox and everything yep. has to be in yep. place for those things to work it's, Absolutely. you can't just pin it all on one thing and say we'll do that and you'll be fine because that if that were true yes. then we wouldn't have the situation we're in now yeah, but the
1: bottom line is we've been asked to socially distance we've been asked to wash our hands we've been asked to wear those masks and it also doesn't you see when you when you when you talk about how many people are wearing masks it's a bit of a tricky one, right? So let's say many more people are wearing masks. The follow-up question is how many people are wearing their masks correctly?
0: Well, it's uh, also what are, are how there... many people are wearing the correct sorts of masks and how many people exactly. uh, are wearing them 24 7 because where do most of the transmission events occur they occur in people's homes mm. where do people you know, wear well, face coverings not in their homes because who's going to do that yeah. who's going to go to bed in a mask i mean if you've if you've got an airways obstructive disorder and you have to wear a, a, a positive airway pressure mask to help you breathe well that's one thing but most people do not feel fond of going to bed wearing a face covering but they'll they'll lie next to somebody who if that was another person in the street you would say well we'll socially distance from them and it's that close or close yeah. contact in the domestic setting that leads to lots of cases in homes. And so the gaping gap in our arsenal here, in our armoury, is the the transmission events that occur in the domestic setting, but also in the work setting. People tend to relax around friends and their mm. friends and workmates, and so often you, you get those peaks yep. of transmission, home, work.
1: Mm. Uh, by the way, so someone asked, how did he go from crackpot to
0: nice guy in a space of three
1: minutes? Well, the trick there is that uh, I, I know his Matthew lawyer phoned very, up. Very Go on, well. tell us the,
0: the honest truth is the lawyer, his lawyer phoned up his lawyer said, phoned hang up. on a minute. I, uh, I'm a defamation lawyer. Did what did, what did, can you just for the record, Kino, just what, what was that you said again?
1: Uh, he says, yeah, I mean, Matthew messaged me yesterday. He says, I still love you, even though you're a BI. I mean, he called me something else. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 he called me a B boy for mainstream media. Challenge accepted. He says Matthew and myself know each other very well, um, and we were taking each other on on air because we could. Yesterday, by the way, that is the context, and we do so off air as well. So that was the context of all of it, and people got very offended by it. Matthew wasn't, um, but anyway, let's move on to questions to <laughs> for Professor Chris. I mean, Doctor Christmas. There we go, elevating you again. Although I'm sure you are a Professor somewhere. Um Valkaliuk, and good morning.
2: Hi, good morning. Hi, Doctor. Hi. Please put me out of misery.
0: I'll try.
2: I live in a complex, and we are going mad with ants. Please tell me, can they see or smell? Because the minute there is a crump, there's a multitude of ants. Please help me.
0: <laughs> well, a- a- Ants do have eyes, <laughs> and they also have a very powerful sense of smell, but they don't have noses. Ants have antennae, antennae. And those are the little things that protrude from their heads, and they are very sensitive to smell molecules. It's the same thing that a mosquito has and a blue bottle has to track down nice smells. Those antennae are bedecked with a whole raft of receptors. These are chemical docking stations that are sensitive to certain smell molecules, and they're wired up to the nervous system. So when a smell comes along, it triggers one of these receptors or a host of these receptors on the antenna. The Uh, signals then ping off to the ant brain and it can compare the signals across the two antennae in terms of how strong they are so it can even tell what direction a smell or odour is coming from. And ants use this to find... Their friends. And when they bump into another ant, they'll brush those antennae over the bodies of each other. And they rub off what are called cuticular hydrocarbons, which are basically ant bio. And in this way, they're able to interrogate, am I related to this ant? Is it a member of my nest? And if it's not, they'll have a fight. If it is, then they'll say, great, take me to where the food is. And they lead each other. And they they will lead each other along pheromone trails, which are also smell pathways. As ants move along, they lay down a trail of their own scent and they put particular uh, branches or patterns of branches into the paths. And those branches are always at a certain angle. So the ant knows whether it's coming or going, quite literally. And by interrogating the direction of those branches it can lead to the nest or lead to the food and the more ants that go down the pathway the more the pathway gets reinforced and in that way they find food find a good food source and cart all the food off to their nest so if you put down something that an ant bumps into that looks promising it will go and get uh, as many of its nest mates as it possibly can as quickly as it can to, to cart off all that food back to the nest to feed everybody.
1: Thank you very much for that, Rosalie. Hopefully that sorts out the problem. I'm glad I'm not the only one with an ant problem, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they Thanks, come out doc. of the they they, they come out of the floor and everywhere and they I just I know I know before you know it. You know, Kino, there's um <laughs>
0: another question is do you know how you tell the difference between a, a male and a female ant? No. Very simple. Someone taught me this, you, you just drop it in water and uh, if it floats, boy ant.
1: Is it? (laughs) Sorry, I was slightly slow there today. (laughs) Boy, Ed, love it, love it. That's why we love Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist. Pile in with those questions. Morning all, my question is, does drinking soda water increase my propensity uh, to pass gas?
0: Yes. Uh, The bottom line is, if that's the right word to use, yes. Uh, Sorry, we're all at it. uh, (laughs) it's, It's just happening now. Soda water is fizzy because it has a huge amount of carbon dioxide dissolved in it. And when it goes into the glass, the gas finds rough patches on the glass surface and starts to bubble out of solution. That's why you see the fizz rising. But when you put it into your body, into your mouth and then down into your stomach, it finds lots of rough surfaces all over your teeth, all over your mouth, uh, your gullet, in your tummy. And the gas which is dissolved in the water or the soda water evolves and forms gaseous carbon dioxide and forms a big bubble of Mm. gas in your stomach, increasing the volume of your stomach. And when it reaches a certain threshold, then you feel the sensation that you need to let rip. And uh, you either do let rip or if you're of a better-mannered variety of person, then you discreetly uh, allow the gas to escape. In the downwards direction, much less likely that that's going to happen because most of the gas, for the reasons I've outlined, will come upwards. And it takes quite a long time in most people between what goes in one end and what comes out the other end most of the gas that comes out the other end carbon dioxide hydrogen methane uh, hydrogen sulfide those sorts of gases they are the product of bacterial metabolism because the colon which is the large bowel and is the point between the small bowel where most of the absorption takes place and the bottom end where stuff leaves the body that's the colon it's full of bacteria and the bacteria munch away at the stuff that you can't digest and they turn that into their dinner but in the course of doing so they often produce gas and that builds up into pockets in the bowel and the average person farts between 12 and 20 times a day
1: Well there we go Chris thank you very much for that uh, are we still on the crackpot story? Chris is more balanced. Well, the, the whole thing with Matthew is Matthew and myself, and I'll say it again, always have this contestation. I think a lot of these ideas, ideas are crackpot ideas. And I've called him a crackpot off air and on air um, when he tells me he, I shouldn't be wearing a mask or it doesn't make sense to wear a mask. And I said, well, not wearing a mask is dangerous. And I said that I would rather go with the WHO, I'd rather go with the scientists, and I'd rather go with the health department. I don't change anything what I said yesterday, by the way. I won't change a single thing uh, as to what I said. But I do say he's a nice guy because I know what he's like. I know what he does. But let's go to Ray in University Estate. Hi, Ray.
2: Hey, uh, Kino and Chris. Look, I had an infestation of ants. They mm. were attacking my imported Tonox c- cakes, which are very expensive, and I had to throw the whole lot away. Mm. I spent, mentioned this to my sister, and she said there's a simplistic remedy that does work. Equal amounts of white vinegar and Dettol. Ah. Combine that, spray it, I did that, and they never dis- they've never appeared again. And I'm spraying it outside as well, where they're digging underneath my all, you know, pottery and everywhere, and they just disappear. So that is a simplistic remedy, and it does work.
0: Well, uh, in so much as you've tried it on an end of one, one experiment, your own, and, mm. uh, and it might have worked for you. You, you. I don't know if there's any scientific data to back that up, but, well, if it works... Good on you, and um, yeah, uh, just just be careful what you do with those chemicals because you don't want to get bleach in your eyes. But uh, yeah, if it works, great.
2: There's no what bleach would be involved. Oh, I, th- no I thought you said but, sorry. I thought you
0: said uh, you had it's vin- it's vinegar and what else was in it? Detol. Oh, Detol. Sorry, I misheard you. Yeah. D- well, may- you maybe maybe Yes yes, uh, yes, yes, I'm very familiar yes. with Dettol and I, I was fascinated yes. by when you pour it into water you get a milky solution and I could never understand that as a kiddie right. uh, why something that's a, a vague orangey <laughs> colour will go into water yes. and make something that looks like milk
2: Yeah, Chris, my sister and I won't harm anything not a bee, not an insect, anything and this is the most humane way I can think of getting rid of them without actually having to kill the creatures
0: Well, that's great. I mean, maybe as you say, it's the smell. Uh, The other thing is that Dettol is oily, and it probably does get into the ground and impregnate the ground. And it it, it is an antiseptic, so it will do a range of things, and probably it will create a sort of a microbial desert in the ground. So it'd be like you walking to the verge of the Sahara and thinking, oh, it looks a bit sandy over there and not very hospitable. I won't go that way. And so it probably deters the insects that are foraging from going across the area that, that clearly looks a bit like a chemical wasteland because something horrible has happened there, so they go elsewhere. I suspect that's actually what's going on.
1: Excellent, Ray. Thank you for that. Let's move on to Len. Len, good morning. Hello, good
0: morning.
2: I'm sitting on the side of the road here, just outside Worcester. I have a a strange question for Dr. Chris, um, uh, uh, perhaps a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Dr. Chris, if you had the opportunity to redesign the human body, can you name two things that you would improve? (laughs) Lovely.
0: Uh, The brain, for a start. (laughs) <laughs> um no I mean the thing is that we love being humans because we are one but uh, look look at all the trouble we cause to the planet um if we weren't here wouldn't wouldn't the the planet be better but on the other hand um you know would, wouldn't we be worse for it so it, it's very easy to say oh, well that's bad and that's bad but actually everything's there for a reason or everything has a purpose and and as a result you'd have to be very careful how you change things let me explain and um, th- this is an indirect example but there's a, a wonderful paper in the journal science this week where where researchers have been studying why a certain type of eagle, the bald eagle, have been disappearing over years in one state in America. And they couldn't understand why these eagles were dying of this very bizarre, very rare brain illness, which was causing holes to appear in their brains. And they then tied it down to a plant. And so it turns out that there is an invasive species of plant, That allows a certain type of microbe to grow on it and that microbe makes a toxin but only when there's a pollutant present and so in the presence of this invasive plant which encourages the growth of a microorganism in the presence of a pollutant that makes a toxin that kills when when these eagles eat things that have been eating these plants with these toxins on it kills the eagle now look at all those indirect effects and, and those chains of things you change one thing and there's a huge snowball effect. So we have to be really careful what it is that we change about ourselves um, because there would be consequences all round. And it'd be nice to say, well, let's let's make ourselves a bit brainier. Actually, that might not be good too because then we might end up with all brain and no sense of humour and that would be bad as well. So I, I'm, I'm very cautious about trying to change something which has been evolving for millions of years and which probably there'll be lots of unforeseen consequences. So I think I'll stay as I am and and just hope that common sense can prevail in the long term.
1: Thank you very much for that question. Um, Lovely question. Tiny and Paul, a quick one. And then the final question for Chris. Uh,
2: Dr. Chris, a quick one. Uh, Why, when I'm wearing my mask, I can walk five metres past uh, a lady and smell her perfume or I can smell somebody's smoke But the mask prevents the coronavirus from coming through.
0: Yeah, size is important. And the size of what we're discussing is both virus particles, but also droplets. And when we wear a face covering, if you're wearing a medical grade face covering in a hospital designed to protect you from a patient who might infect you, you're using something quite different than the sorts of more consumer face coverings people are using to go about their business out in public. Those are not there to protect the wearer. Those masks are to protect other people from the wearer because what they do is cut down the spray of droplets that comes out of your mouth when you talk, sing, shout and just breathe actually. And the droplets come from your airways where the virus, if you've got it, is growing. So when you breathe out, you carry out this mist or spray out this mist of droplets with virus particles in them. Those droplets are orders of magnitude bigger than the molecules of smells that come from a cigarette or from a, a woman's perfume. Hence, they Excellent. can go through the mask easily and round the sides of the mask, but they, they actually, particles coming out of your mouth would be trapped wow. in the mask most of the time. That's the argument.
1: OK, uh, quick one, thank Chris. You. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, good morning, Dr. Chris. How long does a C5-6 revision fusion take to heal?
0: Um... It depends on a person's age. It depends on how well the surgery went. Were there any side effects? Was there any infection? Hopefully none of those would apply. But in general, with any kind of surgical process... Age is very important, general health is very important, and infection yep. is very important. If if you can be a young person who's in very good health generally with a good mm-hmm. blood supply, there are no complications and no infections, then healing happens very quickly. If you're an older person, you automatically have to add a lot longer to bounce back. But it, it will take a month or two before a person is feeling, you know, is, com- is completely better. But you'd be feeling better mm-hmm. symptomatically pretty quickly because they're actually doing that procedure in order to intervene in something that's causing you pain and instability mm-hmm. of the spine in the short okay. term so you, you should get pretty much instant relief from the symptoms but longer term to completely settle down and everything to bed in is going to be months uh, you know down the track before you're completely better
1: Dr. Gressmuth, always a pleasure chatting to you. All the questions that have not made it through, while is making a list of them, they'll be the first questions we ask next
0: week. Have a good weekend, Chris. Always Thanks, Kino. Chatting. Have a great weekend. Bye, everybody. See you soon. See you soon. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years.